holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. It's a Friday morning. Yes, we have a podcast for you on Friday morning. We all thought the Europa League was going to mess with the schedule, and it has, of course, for the home games. It's a bit more difficult when you're kicking off at eight o'clock. You don't finish till ten o'clock. Uh, you know, you, you've got to you've got to readjust. And that means we can't necessarily do something for Friday morning. We have to do something on Friday morning instead. But when the kickoff is 6 o'clock, you can do all the stuff for the website, then come upstairs afterwards with a glass of wine, like I have here. You can come upstairs and just record a podcast of some description that's going to go out on Friday morning as per usual. I think that's a, a good thing, a thing to be enjoyed. And I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. In case you were wondering, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. It's been a good day. I enjoyed the win. I enjoyed the game, enjoyed the performance. Uh, you know, there was a lot to like about certain things. And then, you know, on a personal level, uh, my daughter came home today from Spain. So that's nice. It was good to see her. It was, uh, my birthday this week week and uh, her coming home is without wanting to get too sentimental uh, you know it was the best birthday present I could get unless she happened to bring with her a big bag of ham on ruffles which she did which then makes that the best birthday present I could get and I've got it so you know I'm, I'm good I'm feeling good and I hope you're good too uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Brighton a bit later on in the show because we're facing Brighton in the Premier League, 12 noon on Sunday, a schedule which Arsene Wenger described this week as a little bit cruel, and you can understand why, playing Monday night, then playing Thursday evening, then back from uh, Belarus uh, to kick off at 12 o'clock on a Sunday in the Premier League. It's a bit harsh, in fairness. We are going into an interlull and, uh, and everything else, but I think what we've seen so far is that we've got a squad that can cope with Premier League and also with the Europa League. The changes we made to the Europa League side, you've got Reese Nelson in there, you've got uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles in there, Joe Willock starting in central midfield. That's a big decision for the manager. Jack Wilshire on his way back from injury. Per Mertesacker very much on the fringes of things. So, you know, there was a lot of changes made for that Europa League side, and you know, but for a little bit of carelessness, which is typical of Arsenal, as we all know. I think the, the win could have been a lot more convincing and I mean carelessness not just defensively but offensively too I think there were chances for us to score more goals had the decision making been a bit better in that final third from certain people yes I'm looking at you Mr. Walcott uh, you know, we could have scored more goals, certainly, and uh, I think there was a, a fair bit to like about that. But we do play Brighton, and we will get a Brighton perspective on what's going on on Sunday. Brighton, of course, promoted to the Premier League last season, but there's a lot gone on at that club. There's a lot gone on. A lot has gone on. Many things have occurred at that football club uh, over the last 20 years or so. So we're going to talk to somebody with a bit of Brighton knowledge, what we can expect from them, what we can expect from the way they play, uh, who are the danger men and all that kind of stuff. So we'll have that a little bit later on in the show. But right now, uh, with me to discuss what went on in Belarus, the home of Alexander Hleb, of course. I'm joined by the man from East Lower. Good evening to you. Good evening to you. Um, Alexander Kleb was there. I don't know if you saw the picture of Alexander Kleb with um, with Arsene Wenger. He he looks like he 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 got teeth fashioned from the whitest ivory that ever existed. Did you see the picture? <laughs> Do you know I didn't? I didn't. But now you've mentioned it, I'm frantically googling. But okay, uh, hang on. I, I know he was there, but. 
Yeah, it's there. Hang on, I'm, I'm, I'll send it to you on uh, on on Twitter or something. Uh, hang on a second. If I just do this, Leb Wenger, it's bound to come out. Here it is. Hang on, look at this. I'm going to send you a link now. How will I send it? What will I send it on? Will I Some DM it magic. to you? I'll DM yeah, it to you. Yeah, hang on. Here we go. It's DMing. I, I'm I'm interested in your reaction to these teeth. They're they're pretty amazing. Is that is that actually him? That is actually him. Yeah, yeah. He looks younger than he did when when, when he was with us. Yeah, that's that's um. Wow. Just, just put my shades on. They're uh, impressive. That's impressive that's choppers. Yeah, they are impressive. They really are Nashers to to you know Nashers to die for. Mm. Well, I think, we're, you know, not that this is relevant in any way. I just saw, you know, considering we mentioned Alexander Kleb. But I think we had a good night in Belarus. It's the first time we've ever played Bate Borisov. Uh, you know, they were, um, they're a team, Jim, that was in the Champions League five years out of the last eight. So not, uh, not like unknowns or nobodies or anything like that. And I think Arsenal's performance, when you consider the team that we put out, was uh, was pretty good. I know we let a couple in, but that's sort of inevitable when you've got Ospina. Yeah, <laughs> I thought we were, I thought it was really exciting, and obviously Ospina. And I think you know, let's be diplomatic and fair about it. Is when you don't play very much and you come in, it's difficult to concentrate. So you know, yeah, you know, poor old Ospina. But um, no, he he did all right. He, he, he one or two. Well, you know, the first goal, I thought um, the first goal where it sort of went right where you would expect him to be able to put his hands and he didn't. That was that (laughs) was worrying for me. There is that. But, you know, we we all know that he's good at at sort of shot stopping and a few other bits and bobs. But he didn't he didn't stop that shot. He's not good at head stopping. Is that what you're saying? I mean, in fairness, we saw the yin and the yang. I say all shot stopping. Okay, that's fair. But I mean, in fairness, there was a moment, a moment like uh, probably two minutes after he let that goal in and he made an amazing save from a a really close range header. It would the guy was offside in the end. It was a fantastic reaction save. But I don't know. I I, I worry about him. You know, he. He's a second choice keeper, and and I think we can leave it at that, can't we? But mm, okay. You, I thought overall that I thought I thought it was a good. Yeah, I thought it was really exciting. I mean, it was it was a bit chaotic, and um, you know, very Europa League. But it was really exciting, and I, I think it is the perfect sort of. Um, <laughs> feels to me like the kind of perfect competition for us at the moment because you know we we actually look looked like we could go somewhere in it. Mm. Famous last words, but yeah, I, I liked I liked uh, the sort of the camera angle. And the sort of haze of industrial fog that was there it reminded me of old European games. Does that make any sense? It does a bit. And actually, it was a really, it's quite an interesting looking stadium. Yeah. You see pictures of it. It looks like yeah. sort of something like the, the Allianz Arena. And yet it only had a capacity of about 12,000. I'm not quite sure how that worked, but um, it, looked, it looked amazing. I mean, I know nothing. I, I, you know, I'm ashamed to say I know next to nothing um, about Belarus or Minsk or anything like that. But it, it, mm. was, uh, it, was, a, it was a great game. It was a great game in, in as much as, um, you know, it was exciting at both ends. Well, yeah. I mean, a bit more exciting at our end than we would have liked, but I think it could have been more exciting at the other end. Do you want a bit more information about Belarus? I don't know if you would, uh, if you want that. Hit me. Okay. Be- Belarus, um, let me see here. I'm just saying its capital city, of course, is Minsk. Official language, Belarusian and, and Russian. Total area of 207,595 square meters. Uh, population is That's around al- almost 10 million, which is quite a lot. That's a lot. That's about twice as many as Ireland. And um, that, that's, kind of, that's kind of it. They drive on the right. Country code is uh, plus 375. So if you ever get a, a call from a plus 375 number, it's somebody from Belarus trying to get in touch. Well, that is... Yeah, this is this is amazing stuff, and um, I'm kind of glad they do drive on the right, to be honest, because they'd be they'd be fighting a a lonely battle driving on the left in that part of the There's world. There's only a few of us left. <laughs> I, know, I know, I know. I, I would, yeah, I, no, I did. I thought, do you know, it's it's one of those things that we, having been 20 years in the in the Champions League and we've sort of sailed through most of the group stages, um, it became extremely mundane for me and for lots of people. I know it did, but. Yeah. Um, and it's it's kind of exciting. Not only are we playing against teams we haven't played before, um, 
but also, you know, it's 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 different. It's just something different. And we, yeah. I think we saw crying out for a bit of difference, weren't we? Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's different. That's exactly what I was... I wasn't necessarily looking forward to the Europa League as a thing. You know, if you if you were to ask me, you know, for the football club and everything else, would I want us to be in the Champions League? Yes, of course. But, you know, I wasn't so uh, against... I didn't take again the Europa League the way some people did, simply because it was always going to be a bit different. Not just because of where we were going to have to go, at the time we were playing... But because we were going to see teams like this, because we're always going to have weeks like this where we play uh, on a Thursday and we've got an early game on a Sunday or we've got to play on a Thursday and then we've got a bigger game on a Sunday, which demands that we rest and rotate uh, the first, this uh, supposed first team players. And you get to see young players come in and be given a chance to show what they can do. And I thought that was a really interesting part of what we saw in the, the win over Borisov. You know, you've got two guys playing at wing back who are more or less out of position. Maitland-Niles, perhaps the most out of position as a left wing back. Reese Nelson is more an attacking player, but, you you know, he's hugging the flank. He can get forward, etc., etc. Joe Willock, uh, an 18-year-old, he only turned 18 in... Uh, in August, and uh, I thought he was really, really impressive. I know not everyone thought that, but I thought, you know, he was one of the things that, that I enjoyed most about that performance, to see an 18-year-old go up against men, you know, real men, mm-hmm. uh, experienced players in that Borisov midfield, and I thought he did himself a, a great amount of justice. I, what I liked about him was that he didn't seem to panic, and, uh, and he, you know, he, he's, he, had, he was quite calm on the ball, yeah. he was sort of trying to stop it, you know, not too fancy, they're not trying to do too much, and so you can't really ask for a massive amount more, and you know, we are quick to judge these days, everyone, everyone, you know, and it's, it's easy to judge really quickly, but come on, uh, for, for a first uh, crack of the whip, he it, it, it was really, really good. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, Nelson, Maitland-Niles were able to give debuts to a couple of young players, uh, Marcus McGuane and uh, Eddie Nketiah. You know, I, I think one of the things that people always liked about those Carling Cup nights was the fact that we could use those young players. And, and they were able to come in and play with a bit of freedom and a bit of, you know, there was no pressure on them. Uh, I know we don't we didn't see a huge amount from the, the two substitutes that came on. But, you know, if we're going to build for the future of the football club, you've got to be able to, to give young players a chance and maybe one of the I won't say it's a downside necessarily of the Champions League but one of the the things that the Champions League doesn't really allow you to do is to is to give players like that much playing time and the Europa League you know is very different yeah and there's a tangible prize at the end of it I mean you know it's it's too it's far too easy to dismiss and we've all had a good laugh about you know Thursday night all that kind of nonsense but it's um you know, if you if you go di- if you go the entire distance it's you get to the champions league and uh, but like you say you, i think do you start that game with six english players i mean you know it's great to to get young 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 guys playing and that is sort of partly what it's all about and especially when you know there's quite a lot of cynicism about the older ones <laughs> <laughs> so um it, it's it's quite nice to again a different place a different team um a different style of football, and uh, it was it was yeah, it was much more enjoyable enjoyable than I thought. In fact, the whole of the Europa League's been more fun so far than than I thought it would. And um, apart from the six six p.m. kickoff, which is just nuts. But, yeah, um, no. Yeah. Um, I mean, is part of that because there is less importance placed on the Europa League that that there isn't an expectation that people view the competition differently. It's it's sort of like a free hit every time, isn't it? Where you where you can just go out, you know, if we, if we win the Europa League, there'll be people who say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter because it's just the Europa League and we can't win, you know, the, the real competitions. Uh, you know, at the same time, if we were to lose against Borisov, there'd be people going mental as well. But I think there is just that little bit less pressure, isn't there, than the Champions yeah. League. And, uh, you know, you, you can sort of sit back and enjoy it in case Sarasara to a certain extent. I think so. I think it's. it's I think um, you give it a good crack, and it's. It's. It is a bit less pressured. It has to be, especially because of all the emotional, um, and historical baggage that Arsenal have got in the Champions League anyway. You know, the whole kind of seven years in a row without getting past the first knockout stage, and and actually, I think it started to weigh on us. Um, it's clearly it, it became a thing. Mm. So it's nice to so take that out of the equation and try something different. Um, yeah, it's it's you, the whole thing you were saying about oh yeah, people complain that it's not it's not a proper trophy and we can't you know we're not winning the big ones. But look, here's here's the truth: we can't win the big ones at the moment. And we've proven that. So, <laughs> so let's 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 try the other ones. Yep, exactly. Let's have a go at this one. Two goals for Theo Walcott. Um, 
two goals for Theo Walcott. <laughs> yeah, could have had a few more. and um, Should have had I, a couple of I, assists, you know, he, I think. Yeah, and he'll still probably end up with 18 or 19 goals for us somehow by hook or by crook <laughs> with, barely, with barely playing. He, he, he probably will. But, you know, a, a lot of people are, are disparaging about him and with good reason because you know, he blows very hot and cold. But um, at the same time, if you've got a player who's going to score you, you know, 15 to 20 goals every year, pretty much, then, um, you know, can't be all bad, can he? No, there's a usefulness to that. You have to admit, whatever you think of him and his qualities as a player or what he lacks as a player, there is a certain usefulness to his ability to, to score goals. Rob Holding got his first ever Arsenal goal, and uh, he, he really enjoyed the shite out of that, didn't he? Why wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. Do you remember when Jenkinson got his one and only Arsenal goal? Oh. It, was like, uh, it was like he'd won the World Cup. Oh, my God. How many times have all of us scored that goal? How many times have we done that in our <laughs> back garden? Like, to do oh, yeah. it. Oh, we've all done it. I st- I'm not saying I still do it, but I still sometimes do it. You know? um, yes, you do. I do do a little but sidestep I, on I the dog. It's important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He still hasn't learned that shimmy, has no. he? He still hasn't worked it out. <laughs> but... Um, it, I think about holding as well. It's quite nice. It's good for him because actually he he's uh, he's struggled a bit more, you know, at the beginning of this season than he did towards you know in his sort of breakthrough first season. And um, at the end of last season, he couldn't really put a foot wrong. But he's, you know, I think the reality of playing um, at the top level is, you know, is a little bit more daunting than maybe it was last year. And so it's good for him to get a goal yeah I like Rob Holding yeah I like Rob Holding too I thought he defended quite well uh, as well at times he was he was quite switched on and uh, you know I think you're right for a young player uh, to, to have those moments I think it kind of helps them feel more established in some ways you know to have those just special moments and, and to score that goal and uh, one man who who's had that feeling 100 times now for Arsenal uh, is Olivier Giroud who got his 100th goal he, he looked very disgruntled when Theo Walcott scored his second goal because he was standing there wide open waiting for a pass and like uh, fair, yeah. fair enough it went in so he can't really complain when it goes in but had it not I think they, they might have had some words but yeah. Um, 100 yeah. goals, uh, 12 million pound signing back in 2012 from uh, Montpellier. And apparently he's reached the 100 goal mark in less games. Sorry, sorry, pedants out there. Fewer games than <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I knew you were going to do it uh, than Robin Van Persie. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, take that, Robin Van Persie. I think you're right. It sort of reminded me of what you said just then of, of that. Of, that P.G. Woodhouse quote where he says, you know, I wouldn't say he was disgruntled, but he was far from being gruntled. And it, it, it kind of was a bit that way, but <laughs> he um, he really wanted to score that goal, didn't he? And uh, But having said that, when he did, he didn't exactly blow a gasket. He's got that certain, you know, way of doing it, hasn't he? So um, he rarely goes overboard. He's, he's he's another player like, oh, I'm not, I suppose I shouldn't compare him to Theo Walcott. But what I mean is he's, he's um, I think, got his detractors. I think that's a fair fair to say that. And um mm. but he's again, he's he's a he's a way better player than a lot of people give him credit for and um and his circumstances have changed sufficiently in the last kind of year. And yet he doesn't seem to have um I know he nearly left in the summer, but he doesn't seem to have uh let it get to him too much. I think he's you know, he's he's a, he's definitely more of a super sub these days. Yeah. Um so good for him. Yeah, I mean there's something to be said for that, isn't there? To to have the opportunity to go somewhere else, but also I think what he said was my story at the Arsenal is not finished. And I think that speaks to you know, an awareness of what he's done at the club and what he can continue to do, even if it's not at the same level he might have wanted. You know, he must have known when we signed Lacazette that, you know, the, from a Premier League point of view, at least the manager was thinking in a different way in terms of his uh, his attack. But maybe with the Europa League, with the League Cup, with the FA Cup, that he still got the chance to, to score the goals that, that he loves to score. And uh, yeah, I think down the years, uh, the, the thing for me is that people have been really critical of him for, for good reasons reason at times you know but I think the the bigger thing is that people have always wanted him to be something that he's not 
Like they want him. The criticism is that he's not a 30 goal a season striker or Arsenal need a 30 goal a season striker. So you point the finger at Giroud for not being that, whereas you should just accept the fact that he is basically a guy who will get you 20 goals every season and has done more or less every season since he joined. He'll get you that many goals. He'll miss some chances. He'll frustrate you. But he's got a knack of scoring good goals at the right time and, and, uh, and important goals as well. So... You know, I think it's, it's yeah, a great exactly. achievement for him, and I think he's been a you know for twelve million quid. Well, you know, that's a fantastic return, a great signing. Definitely, what's he been five years now? I saw I saw a uh, yeah. I saw the clip of him scoring his first Arsenal goal the other day. He looks so young. Um, <laughs> we all but, did. Uh, <laughs> we all didn't we? Well, about five years ago, but yes, we all did. Um, but he he uh, yeah he's he's. Um, like you say, he's got the ability to sort of shank one completely wide at the wrong moment and then do a scorpion kick the next. So, you know, he's often involved in, in our most sort of intricate and delicate moves, which goes to show he's a, he's a, he's a good footballer. Mm, he sure is. Um, what's your favourite Giroud goal? Oh, God, you've put me on the spot. I have, You're, haven't I? I mean, scorpion, I'm, you mentioned scorpion. <laughs> You know. Well, that was technically just out of this world, but you know, I'm the kind of bloke that can barely remember what happened in the last game. Mm. So um, let me. We won. We won four yeah. two against Bade Borisov. They're from Belarus. <laughs> Would you like me to tell you a few things about <laughs> Belarus? <laughs> well, I know that they drive on the left. Um, no, no. I, I mean, I'm going to say scorpion goal plus any goal he's ever scored against Spurs how about that because I right. can't remember any quite yeah. frankly you know what I what I liked I, I, I have to say he has been uh, he's been really good in the air I can remember a couple of really good thumping headers there was one against Newcastle the one he scored this season actually against uh, against Leicester on the opening day if you remember he had two defenders hanging out of him and he was still mm-hmm. strong enough to, to get ahead on it and loop it in off the underside of the crossbar Um I think he scored some amazing goals, to be honest. But the one that that I just love is the one that he scored at Old Trafford. Was it last season? Uh, Oxlade Chamberlain cross from the right, and he uh, he just oh that one, yeah, he absolutely. I'm a I'm a I'm a sucker for a thumping header. What can I tell you? I just, you do love a thumping header, don't you? You thump the header past Archer in the garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah you do. Yeah, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. But you know, he's got me for pace. What can I tell you? I've got to use what I've got. It's not much at this stage. Oh, Giroud, Giroud or Giroud or your yeah, dog? Yeah, but probably both of them. In fairness. <laughs> <laughs> and that says a lot, actually. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, congratulations to, to Olivier Giroud. Very impressive first half, I thought, from Jack Wilshire. Faded a little bit in the second yeah. half, but I think we saw what... what yeah, it's hard not to look at Jack without a tinge of regret, isn't it? It really is. Uh, and you, you see the... You see the quality he has on the ball. There was a moment where they they just humped the ball out of their uh, their penalty box. It was way up in the air. One of those with snow on it when it comes down, as they say. He was under pressure from a, a midfielder. He looked at the ball, looked up, took it down in one touch uh, and played a pass. Uh, just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And yeah. every time I see Wilshire, I feel... You know, there's part of me that goes, yeah, of course, you can't rely on him. You can't depend on him. You can't build a team around a midfielder that you just have no idea if he's going to be fit or not. But if he was fit, holy shit, I just, it would be great if he could stay fit and, and actually deserve and, and, and merit a new deal because it would be such a shame to see him go somewhere else and, and stay fit and play well. Oh God, wouldn't it? It would be it would be horrendous. Um, you know, we do get accused uh, Arsenal fans of being a bit too sentimental sometimes about players like Diaby stayed sure. possibly too you know too 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 long. But you're absolutely right with Wilshire is that you know he, he if if he's good if he can't I know there's lots of ifs and he you know the, in all likelihood he'll probably get himself another injury because that's the way his career's panned out. But he is when he's good he's just. Such a good English footballer, the, the kind that you don't really see that many of. Mm. And so I think you, you know, if it was down to me, I'd say just, do you know what? I think you need one or two players in the squad. You just, you just persevere with, uh, despite what you your gut feeling might say. And he's one of them for me. Uh, it'd be a really real, sh- mm. a really great shame if he left in the summer, um, especially because he looks like he's getting better. Yeah, yeah, he's got to stay fit, obviously. And I think Arsene Wenger said that his uh, his future depends on his fitness. If he you know picks up another injury and he gets to the end of his contract and he's been out for months and months, you know, you can see why it's time to go separate ways. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, we'll see. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, considering the uh, the issue that we had or have with midfield where we were bemoaning the lack of a signing with Santi Cazorla out, with Wilshire out, if he could stay fit, I think he's he's got the potential to make a really good contribution to this season and not just at Europa League level. I think so. And also, I, I you know, he went to Bournemouth last year. I thought at the time it was good for his fitness. It turned out it wasn't a great move. But... Um, I don't think really now anyone else would take a massive punt on him. Who, yeah, a bigger club would take a punt on him. I'm not convinced by that. So he's probably in about as best place he's ever going to be and with loads of opportunities. So for, for players like him and a lot of the younger ones, the Europa League is an absolute godsend. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a great opportunity. So, uh, yeah, well, look, two wins out of two so far in the Europa League. And uh, I think what would be very interesting is if we continued well and qualified uh, top of the group, if we could win our next two games, I assume that would give us a top spot in the group with two games to go. And then what what could he do with the, the teams that he's got, with the young players, to give them more chances in games, which won't really have an impact on where we finish in the group, but could certainly give them more uh, of an opportunity to play. Mm. Well, exactly. That you can't, you know, you can criticise Wenger for many things, but you can't, you know, to say that he doesn't bring players through is, is you know, patently untrue. And uh, mm. there is, there are few, few better clubs than this one for, for players of that age and you know, right on the tip of the team. Mm. Um, the, you know, there's, there's nowhere better. The other thing I want to talk to you about tonight is a story that uh, happened or occurred in midweek, where it seems that Sky Sports are trying to schedule the Arsenal versus Liverpool game in the Premier League, which is originally scheduled for December 23rd, which is a Saturday. They're trying to schedule it for Christmas Eve. Um, Mm. What's your initial thoughts on that? I mean, so far, the the idea of a 4 p.m. kickoff on Christmas Eve, which to me is just unbelievable... Uh, has been yeah. rightly rejected, I believe, by police, um, and discussions yeah. are ongoing to maybe move it earlier in the day. But um, what, what, what do you but think? It's still nuts. Yeah. Well, for for a start, right? A lot of people. What what day of the week is it? Sunday. Oh, it's a Sunday. I was going to say, you know, some people actually still at work, but they're not on the Sunday. Well, I mean, a lot of people um, will be at work on Christmas Eve because a lot of people work in retail and hospitality and those kind of things. Well, that's so true. you know, that's yeah. I think it. I mean, I think it's nuts. To be honest, it's. I'm not averse to a different kickoff, and I think the Friday night ones are really great. They certainly kind of generate a good atmosphere. Um, but Christmas Eve, it's not for, especially four o'clock. I mean, it's, it's, you're really trying to chance it by pushing that one there. And most people, I think, would rightly. Uh, well, certainly a lot of people wouldn't bother coming in from further afield, and 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 many people wouldn't bother at all. You might fill it, but not with the same people that would normally go. So oh, I just think it's crazy. I don't think you'd fill it at all. I think you'd see vast swathes of empty seats. I think it's I think it's the kind of uh, idea, the kind of fixture that would push people just too far. I think there will come a point where the way they fuck around with fans, that there's got to be a tipping point where fans will just say, no, I'm not going to do it. I mean, whatever about Arsenal fans who live locally or relatively locally, uh, the Liverpool fans who would have to travel down from Merseyside on Christmas Eve. Uh, and, you know, we don't want to be too sentimental, but, you know, it, it's it's one of those days where people spend time with their families, with their kids. They get stuff ready for the next day. And, to, you know, to me, it feels like this is this is this is one that could really backfire. Where do we where do we point the finger or where is the line? of responsibility on this one because some people will say it's sky it's television companies they're doing whatever they want to do because they're allowed to do whatever they want to do because they paid x amount of money to the clubs but are the clubs not also responsible for giving sky that power for for just taking the money and saying look whatever you want we'll bend over and take it well i think it probably is. It's probably a mixture of the both. But yeah, you know, they've just started to pay. Was it last season or this season? A huge, vastly Im- increased amount, and um, you know they'll want to get a return on that. And I can totally see why they chanced it. I, I think it's naive, to be honest. And, and and I don't know how easy it is for a club to push back either, or whether you know whether Arsenal would have. And because they all, you can. It's easy to say, oh, it was the police that said no. Fine, but mm. I'd be quite interested to know what the club thought as well. Um, <clears throat> So, I mean, everyone's to blame in as much as the, the whole game is driven by money and money talks. But that's that's football, right? Yeah. Uh, but I do hope uh, I do hope they don't um, 
they don't do it on Christmas Eve. Is there, I mean, do you feel like there'd be any way that fans could have an impact on this? That if there was a concerted effort, a concerted campaign between, let's say, Arsenal fans and Liverpool fans to say, no, we're, this is not acceptable to us. We're not going to attend this game if you, put it, if you put it on on Christmas. There'll always be people who will go simply because they have such a captive audience. Everyone knows that. Nobody wants to miss a game. Nobody wants to not go and see their team. But I think if there, was a, if there was some kind of concerted effort between fans of the two clubs, it might make them rethink that there has... I, I just feel like somehow there's got to be a, a, a point to which they push fans where there's a pushback and not just to complain on Twitter, not just to give out on social media, not just to write, you know, blogs or whatever, or give out about it on podcasts, that there's got to be something more tangible than that. Because it is the only way that they will pay any attention, because otherwise they'll just keep doing it in the future. I mean, if we've got Christmas Eve, what's to say in a couple of years we don't have Christmas Day? And I, well, you know, I they feel... Christmas Day once. Did, am I right in thinking they used to play on Christmas Day? I don't, and maybe they did. Obviously on Boxing Day, but... Uh, Boxing Day, and they, you know, somebody reminded me during the week that Arsenal's 5-0 win over Tottenham in the 70s came on Christmas Eve, but I think it was a, a slightly different era. But, you know... Surely we can do... I mean, Arsenal's schedule, just even looking at the schedule, we're due to play the 23rd, then the 26th, then the 30th, then the 1st. At which point they want to make it the the 24th, the 26th, the 30th. You know, surely from uh, the, the point of view of the players and being able to field teams and being able to manage your players and protect your players from injuries that are caused by fatigue, this is something that the club should be saying no if you want to show it on, well, if, if you want to show it on on the twenty third, it's still a game you can show on the TV on the twenty third, and as many people will watch it. But the 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 thing is, if they're doing it for viewing figures or they're doing it for attendance figures, by putting it on that day, they're going to make less people watch it, and they're going to make fewer people watch it, <laughs> and they're going to make fewer <laughs> people attend the game, right? Well, yeah, but I, you know, I think I, I, if I'm being brutally honest, I think that any thought of people putting some kind of concerted uh, protest is not going to happen. I don't think people care about it enough. I think there are other ba- battles to fight, like the cost of football, like the availability of tickets to younger people. Like, sure, but is this not tied up with that? I agree, I agree with you, but is this well, not yeah. part of it? Like, well, like all of those things are completely valid. Like the the cost of football and getting the young people involved and getting the next generation of fans inside the stadium because you know increasingly uh, football fans and football stadiums are full of you know uh, middle class or middle aged people right don't mean middle class I mean middle aged simply because they're the ones who can afford to go I agree with you but there has to be a point where it all comes in together it's all part of the same thing that if there's no pushback against one thing it just becomes a thing that we accept another thing that we accept as football fans that we do nothing about we sit there and go oh that's football whereas perhaps there is a chance to do something about it maybe I, I just might my, my, <laughs> I don't maybe I just don't care about this particular uh thing enough but i i just think yeah it's it would be a pain and and i think um it would be a pain but i'm just looking back on it now apparently the last games played on christmas day was in when 1959 right so you know it's, there, it's not it's not like there aren't a precedent for playing on even more um but 1959 come on we can't days. talk we can't talk about 1959 as a as a as a precedent, really, it was something that happened in the past, and then they stopped doing it because there was a really fucking good reason not to do it. Right? Well, <laughs> I know what you mean, and, and it's fair enough. I've been encroaching on family time, but um, but you know, I, I don't think I don't honestly think fans will care enough to to put up a fight. Uh, I mean, will they'll whinge about it, and a lot might not go, and they might find that the viewing figures turn out to be crap. But um, but in terms of people, kind of a groundswell of opinion, you know how hard it is already to get fans um, motivated to, yeah, for certain issues. It, sure. I, I don't really see it. All right. Okay, well, bye humbug to you, so see Jim. You, see, see you there on Christmas Eve, mate. <laughs> you certainly will not. Absolutely not. <laughs> like, if, uh, if this game goes ahead at four o'clock on uh, Christmas Eve, I'm not doing anything with it. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to cover it. I'm not going to, you know, no. Absolutely refuse. No, but... But we know what the real reason is. And, you know, you've put up a magnificent rearguard action here. But the, the real reason is that you won't have done any of your Christmas shopping. And you'll be, you'll be, bat, you'll be batting up and down um, uh, up Grafton Street in Dublin panicking. So that's what really is the, the issue. God here. damn it, man. Some traditions are too precious to waste. We can't let this go. <laughs> anyway, we will see.
We'll see, I guess. Um, all right. Well, look, uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, you're now up to date on uh, Belarus, all the Belarus information you ever needed. They drive in the middle, I believe. And, uh, they drive in the middle. They drive in the middle. And, uh, yeah, their, their chief export is uh, sand. Did you know that? Their chief export is sand. Yeah. I did not know that. No, well, there you go. See, more knowledge, imparting more knowledge on you. I was about to say there, there, there was a Womble called Minsk, but it was it was called Tomsk, wasn't it? Tomsk, the Womble, yeah. 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 All right, Jim, uh, the man from East Laura, as ever, thank you very much. Not at all. See you, see you Christmas Eve, mate. Christmas Eve, yeah, all right. I'll, I'll bring my shopping bags. Do. Thank you so much to the man from East Lower. Find him on Twitter at East Lower. That is at East Lower. Or you can read his sometime blog. Well, it's not a sometime blog. It's a blog all the time, but it's a blog that he sometimes updates, which is at eastlower.co.uk. That's eastlower.co.uk. Hi, this is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin. And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC+, where every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern and iconic family classics, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. And with new series, episodes, movies, and fresh content arriving every week, AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Right, it's Premier League action on Sunday as we face newly promoted Brighton and Hove Albion. A chance to get three points on the board against one of those teams that you expect to win when you play them at home. But Brighton have uh, had an interesting number of years. Some of it good, some of it not so good. And uh, to find out more about that and to find out more about what kind of a team we're going to face on Sunday, I spoke earlier in a completely different studio, which is why my microphone sounds different, to Steve Bailey, who is the chief football writer for Sussex Newspapers. This is my chat earlier on with him about Brighton and what Arsenal can expect from Sunday's game. Brighton have had, it will be fair to say, a very interesting 20 years or so uh, from almost going out of business or out of the Football League to back into the Premier League, uh, a a period of homelessness, a new stadium, and rescued by, well, not rescued solely, but but one man who was a fan who took over, uh, Dick Knight became the chairman of the club, and and many would say was a, a visionary for... Uh, for what he's done and how the club has ended up where it has. Can you give us maybe a bit of background on on what happened over these last 20 years? Yeah, basically 20 years ago, Brighton were fighting to stay stay in the Football League. Um, There was pretty much a do-or-die game at Hereford where Brighton needed a draw to stay up. If they lost the game, Hereford would stay up. Um, Brighton drew 1-1, but there was talk before the game that if Brighton had lost that game, whether they'd have gone down into non-league and there was a real talk about whether the club could even continue. Um, Mm. From from there, Dick Knight had just taken over as the chairman. Um, he he organised, um, you know, the club needed to keep going. They'd sold the Goldstone Ground, so they had nowhere to play home games. They went to Gillingham for two years um, to play home matches, which was, what, 90 miles, 90 mile journey away. Um, and then from there, they got back to the Withdean Stadium, which is where they played for 12 years. It was just a converted athletic stadium, about seven 8,000 capacity. Um, but Dick Knight managed to get the permission for um, the Amex Stadium at Falmer and then Tony Bloom came in as chairman with the finance to, to get it all over the line um, and Brighton have been at the Amex for the last six years and it's, you know, the, the club's just grown year on year. They missed out in the championship playoffs three years out of four before they eventually managed to get up into the Premier League last year. Has the has the new stadium or maybe a sense of being at home been 
the thing that's really kicked the club on because you talked about uh, almost making promotion to the Premier League. I think in the season before they came up, they they uh, they missed out on goal difference by an automatic uh, an automatic promotion placed by goal difference and then lost in the playoffs. Um, but but maybe since this new stadium, you have a sense of home and a sense of of place for a football club. I think it's really important. Absolutely, I think there's a, there's a real community feel because um, there's so many fans who uh, who did so much to keep the club going in just in existence to getting the planning permission for Falmer, um, and then then just getting there it, it was brilliant and you know it, I don't I think I should say when the club first got to the prim, um, first got to the Amex the Premier League maybe wasn't you know it wasn't at the forefront of mind straight away um, but then after a couple of years it, it started to you know started to become a reality um, and. You know the club's gone from what averaging seven, eight thousand with Dean to now they're getting every game this season so far has been a sellout in the Premier League of about thirty, thirty-one thousand. Wow, I mean that's an, that's an incredible change, isn't it? And obviously, uh, getting into the Premier League has its own advantages in terms of money and the money that you're earning. But when you're filling out a stadium as well of of thirty one thousand, I mean, how was it for fans during that period? Particularly when they had to travel to Gillingham. Um, everybody is loyal to their football club, and everybody uh, gets behind their football club. But there are just logistical difficulties at times, aren't there? I mean, were they well supported during that period as well? Uh, not, not really. I, I remember going there. The, the club would put on coaches going from Hove or Brighton, and you'd be getting on a coach going all the way over to, to Gillingham. And I think it, it'd be leaving at, I think it's about ten thirty in the morning, which for, for a home game, it's frankly ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, you you were looking at um, about one and a half thousand to, to two and a half thousand, depending on depending on who they were playing and mm. if the away team brought many fans. But no, it was. Um, I think the, the main thing they had to get out of Gillingham as quick as they could because obviously the attendance is there's no one really there supporting them and the move to the with Dean you know it, it saved the club because it kept them going and then that, that end, ended up coming around to the, to the move to the Amex and, and now up to the Premier League uh, The man in charge uh, Chris Hewton took over at a time when the club hadn't really been doing particularly well. I think Sammy Hoopia was in charge, isn't that right? And and things weren't that's, that's right. things weren't going particularly well. Uh, and since he's come in, he, he's he almost won promotion uh, the year before Brighton came up, and then obviously got got the team up uh, into the Premier League last season. How is he viewed, and how is the work that he's doing at the club viewed by by I guess the media, but also fans? Yeah, uh, the, the fans absolutely love Chris. Um, he, he's, done, he's done a brilliant job. He came in um, halfway through the season when Sammy Hippier had a, had a tough time to start the year and Brighton were in relegation trouble. Um, he kept Brighton in the championship. And then I think it's fair to say that, that summer there wasn't like no one thought, oh, Brighton are going to be challenging for automatic promotion. I think the playoffs were, were a realistic goal that year. And then they ended up finishing the season. I think it was something like... 12 wins and three draws from their final 15 games and then they went to Middlesbrough for the final game of the season where um, but they were level on points but Middlesbrough had the better goal difference and it finished 1-1 um, so they missed out on automatic promotion and went to Sheffield Wednesday they had um, four injuries in, in the first leg of the playoffs lost 2-0 and then they couldn't quite turn it around in the second leg drawing one all mm. um, and then this the season just gone I mean it was it was amazing I think there was a, a little bit to start the season where you know, you wondered if the previous year was the big chance. When you miss out on goal difference, it's you know you start to think, sure. what was that, was that it? Um, but then no, they they were in the top two from October onwards last year, and you know arguably should have won the title. But you know promotion was the main thing, um, and you know it's great for for the club to be up in the Premier League. Can you can you tell me a little bit about what, what Arsenal fans can expect from the Brighton side? Because if we know we're going to play a Tony Pulis side or a Sam Allardyce side, we know what kind of a team we're going to face. Somebody that's going to sit deep and somebody that's going to try and frustrate. Um, what's what's Chris Hutton's style? How does he want his team to play? And is he adapting it somewhat to? to the demands of the Premier League where perhaps you can be a bit more focused on your own philosophy in the championship but when it comes to the Premier League and when you're going to go to places like the Emirates to Old Trafford to Stamford Bridge etc etc uh, how is he going to adapt the the style that he likes? Uh, I think so far they've still tried to, to get the ball down and play their football but against Manchester City at home I think Brighton only had 20% 20, 25% possession. So that, that was the first that was first game of the season and a real test. Since then, the away games so far have been Leicester, Watford and Bournemouth. So this is away from home, the first like 
massive test for Brighton so far. I, I would think they're, they're going to have to try and frustrate Arsenal for as long as they can. Um, if they can pinch a goal, great. But I think if uh, Lewis Dunk, one of the Brighton players, said after the game last week, if Brighton return home with a point or a three points from this game, that they'd be absolutely buzzing. And I think that that's the mindset. It's not a game they're expecting to get anything from. So anything they can get will, will be a huge bonus. Um, they've got seven points from six games so far. And I think I think that they're, they're happy with that return. It's almost a free hit, I think, is how they, they view this one on Sunday. Yeah, it would be. I mean, if you can get something from a game like this, it's, it really is seen as a bonus. Um, I, I'm just curious as to whether or not a team that does like to get the ball down and play is then capable of, of sitting back and defending and frustrating a team like Arsenal, which does have plenty of attacking options and, and the ability to, to cause any defence real problems. Absolutely. Um, in the League Cup game at Bournemouth, Brighton tried five at the back. Whether that's in view of, of this coming game, whether to try and you know have the other extra body in there, I'm not sure. So far, Brighton have been four four one one in mm. in every game. Um, that's you know they, they haven't got a lot of options to change it really because they've only got two fit central midfielders in Dale Stevens and David Proper. Um, and they haven't got any strikers available for for Sunday because Tom Hemmings. Um, been retrospectively banned for three matches. Glenn Murray struggling with an ankle injury, and Sam Baldock hasn't played all season. So whether or not they try and put another central defender in there just to frustrate Arsenal a bit more, that possibly could be an option. But there's they're limited on on numbers at the moment in terms of changing things around too much. Yeah, um, my next question here was uh, who are the players that Arsenal should be wary of? But from what you're saying, they're all out injured or suspended. Yeah. <laughs> well. Uh, Solly March is a, is a local lad from Brighton. He's um, he's a winger, left winger. He's he's really coming to his own in the Premier League this year. I think he's he's got a real good future ahead of him. Um, he, he's he's obviously a, one who who will be worth keeping an eye on. Um, Lewis Dunk, central defender. He's another Brighton lad, born and bred, mm. who's come, coming on, um, progressing really well in his career. And I think he's got a real bright future ahead as well. Um, in terms of Names Arsenal fans will probably recognise a bit more. You've got Anthony Knockart, who was Championship Player of the Year last season. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's a tricky winger. Um, on his day, he can cause, cause defences problems. But so far, he hasn't quite hit, hit top form, whether that's because opposition managers are paying a bit more attention to him, possibly. Um, those would probably be, be the main ones. Um, Bruno, again, the captain, he's, he's a real quality at right back. Um, he's, he's played at Valencia for a few years, but he's been at Brighton for the last five or six seasons now. Um, those would probably be March, March and Knockout will probably be the two ones most likely to cause Arsenal trouble. Yeah, well, look, yeah, you should never underestimate Arsenal's ability to give space to uh, uh, the opposition <laughs> wingers uh, at, at, at the uh, most inopportune moments. Uh, just very finally, I mean, what, what, is the, what is the aim for Brighton this season? I know when a team is newly promoted, everyone says, look, it's just about surviving. It is about getting the points required to stay up and perhaps build on that. But is there maybe a bit more ambition to Brighton or, or is that going to be the focus this year is just like stay up and then consolidate, see where you go the year after? After. Yeah, no, I think it, the sole focus is just to, to make sure you stay in the Premier League. Um, all the talk in pre-season was if, if we finish 17th, it's been a great season. Uh, um, that, that's, that's all it is, to try and consolidate. I think they're looking at, uh, you know, like the form of Watford, Stoke, who have stayed up and, you know, gone on to become, you know, what you could call mm. probably established Premier League clubs now. So I think that, that's the goal at the moment. I think it, it, it's kind of baby steps. It's, um, it's a division Brian haven't played in. This is the first season in the top flight for 34 years. So, they just want to stay there um, and if they can build on it in, in the coming years, great. Well, look, yeah, best of luck with it apart from Sunday, of course. Um, <laughs> but, but thanks very much indeed for the insight. Steve Bailey, uh, uh, Chief Football Writer with Sussex Newspapers. Uh, thanks a lot. No worries. Thanks a lot. Thanks to Steve Bailey, the chief football writer with Sussex Newspapers, who covers Brighton and Hove Albion uh, all the time. So we've got a bit of an idea. They're a bit weakened, it sounds like. But uh, look... I'm long enough in the tooth and I've watched Arsenal enough to know to take nothing for granted when it comes to Sunday's game. It's one of those we should win, but, you know, football and Arsenal, they often don't do the things that you would expect them to do, particularly Arsenal. But look, we'll see. It's one of those games that, you know, we really should win and all going well or according to plan, we we should take the three points from this one and it will continue our little 
resurgence, our little rejuvenation after what was a poor start to the season. We've got a run of fixtures where we should uh, we should pick up some points and uh, it might make things look a bit more respectable, but also restore some confidence in the team and uh, what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, I guess. So uh, that's it, really, I think, for this one, given it's Thursday night. It's now getting quite late and I think, uh, you know, I need to go to bed. After the Brighton game, there is an interlull, of course. Uh, two weeks without Arsenal, so that should drive us all round the bend. Uh, hopefully we get a, a good win on Sunday to take us into that in better form. The last time we went into an interlull was after the Liverpool game, and I don't think any of us fancy that kind of introspection and that kind of navel-gazing you know, based on the result that we got against Liverpool or, or that kind of a result. So we'll keep fingers crossed for a win against Brighton on Sunday. James and I will be here on Monday. We'll have an Arsecast Extra for you then, so please join us for that. Remember to listen, subscribe, rate, review, do all the things that help us become uh, a much better and bigger and brighter and happier podcast. Thank you so much again for listening and I'll see you on the next one. Until then, cheers, bye-bye. Oh, I've got ham on ruffles downstairs. That has made my night. Oh, 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 hello, little girl, it's me, Santa Claus. And what would you like for Christmas? Oh, you'd like an iPhone, I see, and an Xbox, an iPhone and an Xbox, and a motorbike. Well, aren't you a lucky little girl? I'll get you all of those things for Christmas. Next. Oh, hello, little boy. What would you like for Christmas? You'd like the new Rihanna CD, hmm? Okay, and a dress, okay. You can have a dress, you can have whatever you want. And world peace, of course, I'll get you all of those things. You run along now. Ho, ho, ho. Right, next. Who have we got here? Football fan? And what would you like for Christmas, football fan? Oh, you'd like TV companies to treat fans with a modicum of respect and for them to show the tiniest, 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 tiniest bit of common sense when it comes to scheduling games. Hmm? <laughs> oh, 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 dear, oh, dear, that did make me laugh. <laughs> Oh, you football fans, always wanting what you can't have. (laughs) How about this bag of crystal meth instead? Yes, I thought that might do the trick. (laughs) This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.